Hey everyone, how you guys doing? How many of you guys are, are ready for some spring? <laughs> Feeling like winter's already been too long. <laughs> I know, exactly. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but come winter, um, we like to find some shows because the nights are long, it's dark. What are you going to do, right? Um, so we found a, a movie, a show called Alone. Anyone familiar with it? Yeah, probably not. No, because you're not from Alaska, like <laughs> me. <laughs> the whole premise of the show is that there's 10 contestants, and they are allowed to bring 10 different items with them, and they are dropped off in the middle of nowhere alone. And they have to survive alone. They're not near the other contestants. And whoever... Uh, last the longest wins $500,000. So we, we just finished season two. They were out there for 66 days. That, that is a story of human endurance. <laughs> um, I grew up in Alaska, so this stuff is incredibly fascinating to me. You know, in Alaska, crashing in the wilderness or being stranded are actually real risks. And... Uh, in eighth grade, our science class, we are required to uh, take a survival course, wh which culminates in a three-day survival trip. So you actually get sent into the wilderness. You have a little coffee can with a list of things that you can bring. And any space that's left over, you can put some rice in there. That's the only food you can bring. And the idea is, they want you to have the skills because it's a real risk. Um, survival in the wilderness is a serious issue because it's a place we can't control, right? When we end up in the wilderness, we are forced to play by, by its rules, right? Biblically, wilderness is, is actually a very important concept as well. The Israelites were redeemed out of slavery from Egypt, right? And where did they go? They went into the wilderness. For 40 years, God was shaping them in the wilderness. The Israelites were often brought into the wilderness when they were punished for not following God. We also see Jesus was brought into the wilderness and tempted by Satan. Right? Wilderness represents dryness. It represents harshness. It represents aloneness. And there's another motif that we pick up in Hebrews, and wilderness is what life is on earth, right? In that sense, I, look, I know. No, I, is anyone else from Alaska? I didn't think so. <laughs> you know, I, I don't expect most people to have a relationship to wilderness that I do, but I think that in our own lives, we get the metaphor, right? We've all gone through wilderness seasons of life. Right? And that's what Hebrews picks up on. And he talks about heaven as the promised land. And if you remember Mark chapter 1, where do, we, where do we first meet Jesus? Do you guys remember? We meet him in the wilderness. Right? You remember? The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Who is that? John the Baptist, 
John comes out to him and meets him at the Jordan River and gets baptized. The, the, the idea of wilderness in Mark is important. And where we pick up now in John chapter, excuse me, Mark chapter 10, wilderness isn't necessarily so readily apparent, right? Where are we? Yeah, he's on the road to Jerusalem. But interestingly enough, I think, I think Jerusalem is its own type of wilderness. It's, it's going to be, it's, it has its own type of predators, right? This is a place where Jesus is heading, that he's going to be tested in ways that none of us can actually imagine. And I think from Mark 10, 32 through 45, we actually have some important lessons that we can learn from Jesus about how to live life in the wilderness. How do we get through those seasons of life that leave us confused, feeling alone, and, and, and having no ability to have the resources to get through? So here's the first thing that I think we can learn from Jesus. And that is, no matter what, resolutely do God's will. Resolutely do God's will. If you have the Bible open in front of you, um, looking at verse 32, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. I think this, this is actually a really important point. Jesus was walking ahead of them. He knew where he was going, and he knew that he needed to go there. And he's going there, right? No matter what anyone says, look at what, what's happening around him. There's some tension in this passage. Jesus was walking ahead of him. Two things. The disciples were astonished, but those who followed him were afraid. Right? There's like two kind of groups following Jesus. There's his immediate disciples, and then behind them, picture like a greater mass of just followers. And they, they see where he's going. He's on the road to Jerusalem. They know that in Jerusalem, right, there is a brood of vipers, a pit of vipers. He's, he's going in to the den of lions, and they're afraid. What are you doing? They don't it doesn't tell us what the past, what they're saying, but it's clear, right, that there's some real tension here among his followers. They don't understand why he's going to Jerusalem. It's dangerous there. But God, but Jesus knew that it was God's will for him. Listen to what he says to his disciples. He takes them aside. And this is the third time in the book of Mark that Jesus has told the disciples this truth. And this is the most detailed, honestly. See, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him, and he will rise after three days. Jesus 
was resolutely doing God's will, even though, right, even though he knew it would cost him everything. Look, I get it. Uh, In the last two years, I've avoided bankruptcy a couple times. I came this close. My marriage was pushed to the, like, the breaking point. I get what it's like to be in the wilderness. I get what it's like to face the possibility of losing everything and having to start over and not even knowing who you are. How do I make sense of this, this, these circumstances? It's simple in some ways. Resolutely do God's will, even if no one understands, even if you know it will cost you everything. Where do we figure out what God's will is? Right here. appreciate that. (laughs) We go right here, right? This is where we go. You're like, yeah, okay. That seems like a riddle. But God promises to meet us here in his word. And even if we don't have all the answers, we still have him, right? We have to resolutely do God's will. Secondly, this is getting more cuddly. I know, I'm sorry. We gotta take the hard, we gotta take some medicine before we we can see the benefit here. This This is a hard passage, guys, I know. Second thing that we can learn from Jesus, accept that there's no way around it but to go through it. Except there's no way around it but to go through it. Now, on that show I was telling you about, there's this contestant. His name is uh, Jose. And he lands, and, and really, you get, you get this snapshot of everyone as they land, as they begin to figure out where they are, what they're doing, where their food's going to come from, where are they going to sleep, how are they going to stay warm. And Jose says, my goal isn't to survive. My goal is to come and live here. I'm not here to survive, but to live. Think about how important the difference in mindset leads to different results in your life. Right? If you're, if you're just trying to survive, your, your hope is this is a temporary situation. And I just got to hold on long enough to get through it, right? But what happens when your expectations aren't met and it goes longer and it takes more from you than you thought? Where does that survival mindset leave you? Survival mindset will not get you through. We Some of us need to learn. Some of us need to kind of get up in our own lives and decide, I'm here for it. I'm going to camp out. I'm going to build a house. I'm going to make the best of this. Right? And and where do we get this? This This is kind of an interesting story. 
about the disciples. And honestly, it's kind of easy to think, wow, these, these guys are knuckleheads. But I want you to be careful to not draw some, these conclusions so easily. Because I think at the heart, we are more like the disciples than we always care to admit. All right? So Jesus just tells them, hey, look, I'm going to go die. <laughs> and James and John clearly don't hear him. And, and they ask, and they say, teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask you. What? Guys, what is going on? <laughs> right? What do you, and Jesus is like, he kind of goes along with it, right? This is how Jesus is. He loves his disciples. They're not really ready for what he's going to give them, but he's going to love them and he's going to help them get there. He says, what do you want me to do? And they answered him, allow us to sit on your right and at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or to be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? <laughs> and they boldly say, we are able. <laughs> and Jesus says, you will, you will drink the cup I drink. And you will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not mine to, to give. Instead, it is for those for whom it has been prepared. But did you catch that? You will drink this cup. If you are a follower of Jesus, you will drink the cup. You can't avoid it. Expect that whatever path Jesus took, you're going to go right behind him. And whatever Jesus experienced on that path, you're going to experience it too. Maybe not in all the same ways, but you can't get around it. Accept that there's no way around it. Accept that what your life is going to look like on this side of, of heaven is hardship. It's wilderness. And I'm not just here to survive, I'm here to live. I'm here to set up camp and get through this. So what do we do? What, how do we make sense of this drama that we see with James and John? Well, let me, let me kind of back up here and just propose this idea. Historically speaking, whoever has the corner on food, water, or wealth, holds the what? Holds the power. Right? And following Jesus to this point might seem like you hold the promise of having the good life. Right? Think about it. He's healed people. He multiplies bread and fish. He raises people from the dead. Having Jesus seems like winning the lottery. If I have Jesus, I have the power. But that leads into the heart of what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples. Right? 
I mean, honestly, if we think about this, we all want the good life, right? It's easy to think of Jesus as our genie in heaven. If we just pray, he'll make our lives better. It's easy to approach our lives as if all that we see here is the only thing that matters. There's a, this, a story in the Old Testament of this guy named Jacob. Are you guys familiar with Jacob? You may not realize it, but Jacob was the great manipulator. He's the great manipulator. And Jacob, here's his story. He is born with a twin, and he comes out holding on to his brother's heel. Right? He's trying to pull himself ahead. Right? And they grow up, and what does Jacob do? He steals his brother's birthright, right? He, he dresses up like his brother, makes himself smell and act and speak like his brother. And then he steals the, the blessing from his father, and then he's discovered. He's caught. And he's afraid for his life, and so his mom sends him to, his, to live with her brother. But Jacob hasn't learned his lesson. No, Jacob still thinks that he can manipulate his way through life. And so he makes this agreement. He, well, he likes one of his, his brother or his uncle's daughters. They agree to terms to, for marriage. He works seven years, gets tricked. Right? You would think that Jacob's starting to realize he can't always manipulate to get ahead. But then he does it again, right? So he, he, uh, he gets tricked by his brother, gives, is given a different daughter, and then has to agree to another seven years to, you know, marry the original daughter that he was wanting. So, but then he basically connives a plan in which he steals away most of the flock of his uncle. And then his uncle finally catches on and is kind of angry with him. And he fears for his life, and so he takes off again. But finally, Jacob is caught in the middle. He's, he's caught between what we call a rock and a hard place. He's got his uncle on his tail that he's afraid is going to kill him, but now he's heading back to where? His brother. And he's pretty sure that his brother wants to kill him too, still. And what finally happens in Jacob's life? Jacob is confronted by the fact that he cannot manipulate life anymore. That he actually needs God. And he, he meets God there on the side of the river, and he wrestles with him and wrestles with him, and he's not going to let God go until God blesses him. And then God, what? Touches his hip, and he puts it out, and he walks with a limp for the rest of his life. But that is an indication, as well as his name being changed, that he had actually changed. There's another story, right? Abram, Abraham, promised a child. He's in his 90s. His wife is in his 90s. What an amazing promise that you're going to receive a child in your old age. And finally, the baby comes, the baby's born, grows up, and God says, I want you to go and sacrifice your son. 
And uh, could you imagine as a, as a dad, as a parent, being asked by God to sacrifice your own child? But somehow, you know, Abraham believed that God would, if he did, would raise him from the dead. And he, he obeys him and he goes and he, and he puts his son on the altar. And then, you know, God shows up and he replaces his son. But here's the main point that I'm getting to. God was interested to know, did Abraham, Abraham love the gift that he'd received from God more than he loved God himself? And that's what I want to say to you. Some of us in this room have experienced healing. We have experienced God showing up in our lives and doing real things and changing our lives. Are you going to be there for it? When, when the winds turn and it feels like the sky has turned into copper and he's not there, are you going to be there for it? Is he going to be your God even if he doesn't pay off that bill and turn the lights back on or heal that broken relationship? Until we get to the point that we can accept that there's no way around it to, but to go through it, I don't think that there will, we will reach the point where we really treasure God for who he is and worship him as the God that he is and not just the gifts that he gives us. And that leads us to our last point. And it, this kind of sums up the whole passage. We need to give up, you need to give up your right to be in control. And instead, Become servants of God. Give up your right to be in control and instead become servants of God. Let's read this last section. Verse 41, when the 10 disciples heard this, right, the, this, this crazy request from James and John, they were kind of, they, they began to be indignant with them. Jesus called them over and said to them, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those in high positions act as tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Look, when we're in the wilderness, right, we want control. We need, we crave control because life is so out of control. There's things coming at us that overwhelm us, and we may not even have the resources to deal with them, right? We want to engineer ways to, to be prepared for those things. But Jesus is saying, no, I want you to do the opposite. No, I want you to relinquish all control. He wants us to be slaves. He wants us to be his servants. 
So maybe, maybe you're feeling beaten up, right? The wilderness has a way of exposing all of us for who we really are. You know, in the next chapter, chapter 11, we're going to read about and experience the triumphal entry where Jesus enters Jerusalem heralded as a king, but he's going to be killed as a criminal. Here's the thing. I, here's where I'm going. Here, I want you to realize, like, yes, we've all failed in the wilderness. The wilderness leaves us all wanting. None of us, like, like these are all great, like, these are great sermon points, right? <laughs> Resolutely do God's will, you know, accept there's no way around it, but go through it, right? But if you've experienced life in any way, if you've actually gone through the wilderness, you know it's easier said than done. These are not easy things. But here's the thing. Peter, James, John, they do drink that cup, right? They are baptized by the same baptism. And what happens? They all turn their backs on Jesus. Right? We've all done it too. We're just like these silly disciples. You know, we're, we're concerned about where we're going to be in heaven. And we're not really living here and seeing how much we really need Jesus now for who he is. But here's what I want you to see. Jesus gave his life as a ransom. He is the servant of servants. Where you have failed, he has succeeded. Right? I was thinking of Genesis 3. You know, God curses the serpent, right? And he says that I'm going to put enmity between you and the offspring, uh, uh, humanity's offspring. And in this is a little promise that is realized in these next chapters. And it says that the serpent is going to bruise your heel, but you're going to crush its head. Family, we fail and we fail in the wilderness, but Jesus hasn't. He has crushed the head of the serpent. And as a result, we are victorious, right? While Jesus can heal work miracles, give you a cattle, give you cattle on a thousand hills because he made and owns everything you see. His greatest gift was that he gave his life for you to be freed from slavery to sin and death. Jesus literally entered your life when you were at your worst and gave you his best. So get up and go serve Jesus. Jesus.